Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Tom Watson, who, was, who did all he could to bring Tony Blair down, is now... You know, the hero of the uh, of the Blairite resistance. Uh- this is Free Exchange from CapEx. I'm Oliver Wiseman, CapEx's editor. Tony Blair was argued to be the most electorally successful Prime Minister of recent British history. And yet, if you ask British voters today what they think of the man behind New Labour, the answer is not exactly an enthusiastic thumbs up. Just 22% think Blair did a good job. 49% think he did a bad job in number 10. Nowhere is the repudiation of Blair clearer than at the top of the Labour Party today. For those with their hands on the reins, Blairite is about the worst insult going, and it's impossible to understand the rise of Corbyn without appreciating Blair's legacy. My guest this week is someone who takes a very different view of Blair. John Rental is the Independent's chief political commentator, who, unusually for a Westminster journalist, also teaches a course on Tony Blair with John Davis at King's College London. Davis and Rental have just published a book on the Blair government, aptly titled Heroes or Villains. They make generous use of fascinating first-hand testimony to paint a more flattering portrait of New Labour than many on both the left and the right would agree with. For this week's episode of Free Exchange, I spoke to John Rental about all things Blair. What were his biggest achievements? How much of the blame does he deserve for our contemporary political problems? Why was his relationship with Gordon Brown quite so dysfunctional? And how, ultimately, will history judge him? I started by asking John what he thinks makes Tony Blair such a fascinating figure. Oh, well, I think he was a very interesting prime minister. I mean, I originally wrote the biography of him because uh, I was filming him for the BBC. And this was um, before he was leader. This is after the 1992 election. And I just thought he was a very interesting politician. I thought he had just then acquired this unnatural ability to communicate on television mm-hmm. um, which is has always been one of his most striking qualities but I thought you know his politics were also interesting I thought he had uh, interesting things to say about modernizing the Labour Party um, and you know creating a mass membership outward looking party a lot of that turned out not to be very relevant in the long run but you know the more I wrote about him the more interesting he seemed and um, you know obviously that led to uh, writing a a pre-prime ministerial biography and then a post-prime ministerial biography or while he was prime minister Uh, and then when he stepped down 
uh, I thought he was an interesting subject for contemporary history, and so we carried on. And the book is a product of the course. Mm. Yeah. So why don't you explain the kind of the, the project more broadly, not just the book, because I mean, it's, the book is filled with um, um, anecdotes and stuff from people, in, you know, very very senior people, including including Blair. But you know, you you basically run this course where you bring in senior figures from the new Labour government and. Do you want to just talk through? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was inspired by Peter Hennessy, the, uh, mm-hmm. the the doyen of um, uh, contemporary history, um, who said that you know, just imagine after the end of the Attlee government, if we had had the chance to sit all the uh, cabinet ministers and senior civil servants down mm-hmm. and talk to them about that government, how much how much better informed history would have been um, and that was our thinking that you know ultra contemporary history is uh, something that you can you can attempt um, and that's because we thought that the Blair government was uh, so interesting uh, with what it was trying to achieve um, that we thought it was an appropriate subject for uh, historical study even you know that we were talking about 18 months after he had stepped down as prime minister but we didn't think that was an obstacle to using the sort of techniques mm. of historical inquiry. Mm. So if newspapers are a first draft, this is a sort of second draft of, of history, is that the kind of... Yes, and I think the, the book is probably getting on towards third or fourth draft, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a constant process, isn't it, history of, of rewriting, reassessing, um, and re-evaluating, and we're hoping to contribute to that process because, I mean, mainly because we felt that uh, the reputation of the Blair government was not being fairly represented, that it had got into this sort of uh, feedback loop um, between public opinion and uh, the media uh, that was constantly driving its reputation downwards, mm. which, you know, in a way which we thought was completely uh, ahistorical and um, didn't reflect the complexities of that government. Well, then, so let's talk about the sort of stereotype you're pushing against really um the book's called heroes and villains and um heroes or villains rather and um you know blairite is a sort of insult in the labor party at the moment uh, yeah. which is surprising given that well in many ways it's surprising given that tony blair is the most successful labor politician of recent history yeah so you know explain to me your account of why he is quite so unpopular among specifically among labor people yeah, well, I mean, obviously a lot of it comes down to the Iraq war, um, which is completely understandable. People felt very strongly about it. Uh, in my view, unreasonable, you know, they, their strong feelings tipped into unreasonable arguments and unreasonable language mm-hmm. about, you know, warmonger and, and, war, and, and war criminal, um, which... You know, you can, but you can understand why that should be a, a big negative. But um, it shouldn't be allowed to obscure the record of what was, you know, a really successful reforming social democratic uh, government that had actually achieved uh, quite a lot, and um, from which you know the Labour Party needs to needs to learn. And you know, it's in danger of learning all the wrong lessons, which is you know whatever Blair did, do the opposite. And um, so, what do you see? I mean, on the positive side of the ledger, you know, what are the big? What do you see as the big achievements? The big, the big achievements of the Blair government? Well, I mean, they are the too numerous to list. I mean, you know, I remember, I remember being interviewed. 
after Tony Blair stepped down um, by interviewers who were basically saying, you know, Tony Blair, what a terrible man, what a terrible government. And then, you know, all I would say, I mean, I would just have to say, well, what about Northern Ireland? And then what well, they'd say, yeah, well, yes, there is that. And then it was like, what did the Romans ever do for us? I mean, yeah. you, could, you could just go through the list. Um, you know, he actually transformed the public services in this country. I mean, the, the NHS. People just do not remember how underfunded and difficult things were in the NHS in 1997. Uh, schools, likewise. Um, criminal justice, you know, maybe not so dramatic, but, I mean, crime continued to fall. Um, and... It, I think the sort of the, there were more intangible sort of benefits, such as um, uh, equal rights for gay gay people and women, um, you know, civil partnerships, um, better representation for women, better e- equality laws all round. Um, that just made this country a better and more pleasant place, and um, the, the public investment transformed the the whole country. I mean, I think it's just a better country at the end of of mm-hmm. 10, 13 years of whether you, whether you regard Gordon Brown as new Labour or not, mm-hmm. uh, 10, 10 or 13 years of Labour government. The, um, the other, I mean, Iraq, you said, is, is obviously the big, the big um, focus of lots of the criticism, but um, you, could, you can make an argument, and I think indeed you acknowledge this in the book, that if you look at what's happened in politics, if you, if you stop the clock when Tony Blair leader number 10 and, and list the achievements, <laughs> as you say, there's a, there's a, there's a long and uh, impressive list there. Yeah. Um, but equally, if you fast forward to the present day, you can see the seeds of our current political and arguably economic problems in a lot of, um, you know, as, as, as Blair's legacy too. So, yes. you know, whether that's uh, the, Europe, the question of Europe, um, whether that's the financial crisis, mm-hmm. um, um, general trust in politicians. I mean, that's a related, that's, you can't disentangle that from Iraq and, and, and other things, I think. Um, so, you know, do you sort of, how much of that blame is fair and how much of it is, is unfair, do you think? Well, that's, that is the very interesting question. That is the question of historical um, revisionism. I mean, that is the, that's the reason why, you know, obviously there are limitations to doing ultra-contemporary history. I mean, when we started teaching this course um, in 2008, the, you know, Lehman Brothers had only just gone bust mm. and you know the scale of the financial crisis was not uh, was was not apparent um and obviously yes you need a lot of time to uh, to to consider what the sort of long-term implications of a government uh, are um and that does complicate the picture and certainly you know a lot of those things are have turned out to be fairly negative in that in that you know the golden economic record of those uh, of those 10 years of tony blair mm. uh, turned out to be rather quickly tarnished um although you could say that that was just um the business cycle mm. reasserting itself um and that you know it was still it was still a reasonable performance actually comparative Comparatively, you know, comparing with other countries and comparing with previous British governments, that was still a very good period, even after the the, the financial crash, even mm-hmm. after that correction. Part of it's surely just um, uh, sort of rhetorical overreach. I mean, they to, yes. to, to claim to have ended boom and bust is branded, and I think Blair did as well. I'm is, afraid Blair used the is phrase obviously as well. a really stupid thing to do, isn't it? Eh? It was. Uh, it was. It was uh, very, very foolish. Um, but. 
in a way that was all part of one of the biggest sort of underlying problems of the whole Blair government was that um, expectations were too high in 1997. I mean, everyone expected because uh, Tony Blair had won such a huge victory uh, that there would be, you know, miraculous consequences as a result. And everybody who voted with hope in their hearts would get what they wanted. And obviously Mm. that's not possible. And so the disappointment when it came, uh, I thought... I, th- I think was uh, w- was so much more intense, and I think that's we're still living with the with the unfolding of that. Mm. Right. Well, let's let's talk about the um, the relationship at the heart of all of this, which is between um, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. Uh, it's you know it's obviously significant that your book is about the Blair government, not New Labour. So yeah. the story ends in two thousand and seven. Um, uh, so, firstly, what's the logic behind that choice? I mean, is do you see them as distinct? Phases of of um, of government rather than a new and a single rather than a single new Labour project. Well, yes. I mean, we 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 thought that you know in the sort of individual versus um, great forces view of history, mm-hmm. Tony Blair was as as an individual, you know, a most exceptional and an interesting leader, and so we decided to focus focus on him. But of course, you can't really take away from the from the what he called the plus three uh, years of uh, of Gordon Brown afterwards and so you know actually the the the, the border isn't very clear-cut in the in mm. the book I mean we do have to look at the at, at what follows um, but we were very clear that you know one way of looking at the Blair government was as a coalition between mm-hmm. him and 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 the Brownites and so you know to, to an extent we were looking at the period when you know, one part of that coalition was in government, uh, in the lead role, and um, but then it did carry on with the junior co- coalition partner, as it were, mm. continuing for another three and, years. Yeah, and you actually say that the you know, it's you, if you compare it to the Conservative Lib Dem coalition, uh, it was actually sort of much less functional and much more, <laughs> much more unhappy than the. Um, yeah, the, no, we, exactly because the the two separate parties can kind of air their grievances publicly, whereas Brown and Blair had to pretend to be. Exactly. I mean, that was one of the most striking things that civil servants said um, after 2010 was how much easier it was to manage relations between the Conservatives mm-hmm. and the Liberal Democrats compared with managing managing Blairites versus Brownites who are notionally in the same party, um, which, you know, is I, th- I thought it was just an interesting way of looking at, mm. uh, at, that, at that government. And it's, but it also allows us to make the point that you know Tony Blair was never you know quite as as preeminent and as all-powerful as uh, he sometimes presented himself mm. as being and one of the one of the fascinating things I'm reminded of reading the book is is how the question of succession and is there from day one in fact it's yeah. there from before day one <laughs> before but, pre-day one uh, yes. so it's amazing that you know when with hindsight you see this as a you know of course Tony Blair 10 years in power and Gordon Brown's sort of short act afterwards but you know right right the whole way through there's this constant conversation between number 10 and 11 about yeah when tony's going to step down and you know i thought i thought this thought you, it's that presumably is one of the advantages of doing this contemporary history thing is you get stuff that seems settled now you forget is sort of so <laughs> contested at the time it was and um you know and opinions are still divided even among the blairites as to whether whether tony blair did the right thing in keeping uh, gordon brown on uh, all that time. Um, I mean, at the time, it certainly seemed as if 
uh, Gordon Brown was a, was a break on uh, on what a what Tony Blair once called an eye-wateringly new Labour government could achieve. Um, but it's more complicated than that, and uh, you know, there's quite a lot of testimony in there from uh, not just Ed Balls but also um, Alistair Campbell uh, saying that you know they it's not obvious that sacking Gordon Brown would have been the right thing to do and that actually having having Gordon Brown difficult and rude as he was um, may have uh, contributed to better policy outcomes. How, how close did he come to getting rid of Brown? What's the... That's a very difficult question to answer because, uh, uh, you know, I mean, if you read Alistair Campbell's diaries, um, there comes a point, I think, in early 2003 when Tony Blair says... I've decided he's got to go. I've had enough of this. Uh, but he never did it. And the reason he never did it, and he's quite honest about this in his memoirs, uh, is that you know Blair thought that uh, he would last longer as prime minister if he kept Gordon in uh, than if he got rid of him, because he thought that you know if if once Gordon was out, then the parliamentary party would become much harder to manage, and you know, there would be a coup against him. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss since 2013 Bombas has donated over 100 million socks underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness if we counted those on air this ad would last over 1157 days but if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible it would take just a few clicks because every time you make a purchase Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hmm. Uh, one of the things um, Blair is sort of remembered uh, and credited with is maybe the wrong, the wrong phrase, but he's seen as someone who sort of re- completely rethought how to do not just politics, but government too, with um, a kind of very presidential style. The accusation, at least, is very presidential style um, to the job and also kind of very informal approach to decision-making where his special advisors were kind of more important than the civil servants and and so on. Yeah. What's your view on that? I mean, do you think that's an accurate characterization? Do you think that's a a positive or a negative development? um, well, I mean, to the extent it's accurate, it's positive, but it's mostly inaccurate. I mean, the idea of sofa government is something that uh, emerged out of the uh, various inquiries into the Iraq war. Uh, but they're all, all those criticisms are just ways of saying that um, 
that, that someone doesn't agree with the outcomes. I mean, you know, the idea that, you know, th that Britain would have held back from joining the Iraq invasion if there had been more sort of committees and, and civil service papers presented uh, is just for the birds. Um, they, uh, you know, I mean, generally, Tony Blair ran a completely conventional um, government, uh, made proper use of, of cabinet committees and all the rest of it. Obviously, he did... He used them less than his than some of his predecessors, and less than some civil servants would have liked. I mean, because civil servants wanted wanted to have more uh, more influence. But actually, if you look at what's happened since, um, the number of um, special advisers has continued to continue to rise, uh, and you could say that you know David Cameron was constrained by the coalition, but otherwise ran you know a very Blairite government. Do you think there's a correlation between sort of historically significant or important prime ministers and a sort of uh, tendency to be to, to, to be less um, collegiate and committee oriented in your, uh, in your approach? Yes, I mean obviously, obviously, because the historically significant prime ministers tend to be strong ones, mm -hmm. uh, and they tend to be strong if they have uh, a majority in parliament and you know the, the single most important fact of the Blair government was that he had an absolutely huge majority for most of his time as prime minister uh, and you know obviously that that has implications for the way you run government I mean uh, you know cabinet government is often something that prime ministers have to resort to when they're weak because they need to uh, they, they need to get the consent of, uh, of other cabinet ministers but Tony Blair was was not in that position. He was in a slightly different position in that he was surprisingly weak in relation to Gordon Brown, but not in relation to uh, Parliament. Um, so he had a completely different set of relationships to manage. And of course, he's, he's very interested in the book in this description of his how he felt, how powerful he felt throughout his time in Number 10 and how at his most unpopular, yes. I mean, even though he'd won a majority, but at his most unpopular after 2005, I think he's, there's this great... I don't have it in front of me, but this great line in the book from him about how sort of omnipotent and kind of <laughs> ready and willing to do anything yeah. with the with the machinery of government that he wanted to. Yes, he'd become much more confident in his uh, in his judgment and his uh, understanding of how to use the machinery of government. Uh, but of course, by then the sort of politics were closing in on him uh, in that you know his party had had enough of him um, they'd had enough of winning uh, elections um, and they wanted to go back into opposition and uh, you know once once politicians have you know sort of deep uh, psychological desires to get him back into opposition then there's very little that uh, even a leader like Tony Blair could do hmm. one of the things I think it's hard to uh, figure out about, about Tony Blair and Obviously, I'd be really interested in your your views on this. Is you know he's remembered as he, his achievements are remembered as sort of political ones in terms of how he moved the Labour Party, in terms of his um, ability to sort of triangulate on various issues, and um, you know that there's this big emphasis on spin and on dealing with the media and Alistair Campbell and so on. Yeah. Um, and inevitably, when that's something that is so so prominent in his in his legacy the the question becomes you know what was behind what was behind all the spin um was it just presentation or what was the actual um 
ideological stuff behind it. So if you yeah. had to kind of ex- explain Blairism, <laughs> not as a political project to do with the Labour Party, but as a sort of standalone ideological project, how, how, would, you, how would you go about doing that? Oh, well, I, don't, I don't think it's that complicated. I think he's a mainstream social democrat. Um, I think a lot of his presentation as a social conservative, as a centrist... Uh, and as someone who understood, you know, had a deep understanding of the sort of Daily Mail, uh, Middle England type voter, uh, that was all, you know, man- managing a, a, a basically centre-left government, which was quite successful in achieving traditional social democratic aims, such as, um, you know, uh, public services and uh, high employment, better education, and all the rest of it. Mm. Although, I mean, there is a bit. I mean, there's a bit in. I think it was. Uh, this is probably from him appearing at one of your um, events at, at Kings. But he, he, um, there's a bit where he's talking about his view of sort of empowering individuals and, and so on, which it sort of it really <laughs> stuck out to me. It's, I mean, it sort of certainly felt to the right of Theresa May, for example. I mean, it, <laughs> it did feel very kind of Cameroonian and very. Um, yeah, I mean, individuals first and centre-right rather than, than centre-left. But, I mean, well, you don't I sort of... Well, I think there was quite a lot of that rhetoric. But if you actually look at what he achieved, mm. I think the, the, the sort of lasting achievements, and, you know, even they may not have lasted that, that much. But, I mean, the, 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 the sort of consistent attempt to raise standards in, in education, mm-hmm. to expand university education, and to, uh, and to put resources into the NHS, I mean, I think that's that is all quite sort of left of centre in its in its long-term assessment. But, I mean, that doesn't mean that... I mean, you know, he did pursue quite a lot of sort of radical um, quasi-market solutions in, mm. in, in all those public services that, uh, that the left really didn't like. But, I mean, the, but the goal was certainly a social democratic one, I think. How, how much do you think the, um, the sort of way we think about Tony Blair now is... You know, you mentioned that the sort of party had enough of winning elections, and um, um, there was this sort of exercising of demons, uh, more so when Ed Miliband was leader of the Labour Party, but a bit under Gordon Brown too. Mm. And I wonder what your view is on whether the people involved in that sort of regret the extent to which they split from 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 New Labour. I mean, well, they did. And the now, way in which they? they, in the way in which it's, the, you know, the, the direction the party's gone in as a result. I mean, do yeah, you know, I mean, well, Tom Watson, who was, who, who did all he could to bring Tony Blair down, is now, you know, the hero of the uh, of the Blairite resistance. And you know, Neil Kinnock, who celebrated getting his party back, um, is you know by his side. I mean, you know, what's what's extraordinary is the way in which the sort of Corbynite takeover has forced Blairites and Brownites who. Who, who really were? I mean, there was a big ideological divide between them, mm. uh, but they've been, but that's been completely eclipsed by the ideological divide um, between them and 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 the Marxist uh, leadership of the party now. I mean, you know, I mean, it sounds as if I'm being rhetorical, but I mean, they are Marxists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they actually believe in. I mean, they they're not sort of they're not members of Trotskyist Trotskyist. Trotskyist organisations, but I mean, or, or at least not at the moment. But I mean, well, some of them have been in the past. Some of them have been, yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know, and there were and there were ex-communists in uh, in Tony Blair's government, such mm-hmm. as uh, you know, and Alan, Alan Melbourne was probably a, some kind of trot a long time ago, and John Reid was an actual member of the Communist Party. But I mean, you know, the Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell are very different. 
Um, let's talk. We, we, we've sort of skirted around it a bit, but we, I feel like we need to talk about Iraq a little bit more than we have. Um, just because it was, it was such a, well, it's it, such a significant yeah. um, 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 thing. To explain sort of what you, you, what you view the mistake, what's the best way to understand the mistake that was... Well, because I mean, you do think yes, it was a mistake. I you, do now, uh, but, and... but my view has changed on, mm. on on that. I mean, because for a long time I thought it was. I mean, I supported it at the time. I thought it was justified, and for a long time I thought it was it was justified on the basis of the information at the time. But I mean, I think having taught the course, having um, read the Chilcot report, um, which is a you know huge piece of work, um, I think the one thing that I have changed my mind on and do have to accept is that you know it was foreseeable and should have been foreseen that Iraq would descend into sectarian chaos um, if you removed Saddam Hussein and you know that wasn't that wasn't obvious at the time but it sh- you know it's something that should have occurred to Tony Blair and others um, and should have given them uh, more pause for thought I mean it, but that's that is in a way a sort of very much a second order criticism because you know that the decision at the time the 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 you know the worst case scenario that Tony Blair was considering at the time was the the problem of weapons of mass destruction and you know non state actors like Al Qaeda coming together and um, he was he was rightly worried about not doing anything to forestall that uh, that threat. But do you think he went about sort of assessing the evidence of that in a uncrit- excessively uncritical way? I mean, that's one of the you know he, in terms of the intelligence he was given, and, and he was looking for an answer. He wanted to find. Well, yeah, no, than... I mean, but that's but that is looking at it through the wrong end of the telescope. I mm-hmm. mean, at the at the time, everyone thought that Saddam Hussein um, had or was trying to acquire. Uh, you know some quite nasty weapons, and they thought that he was a he was a threat and a menace to his own people and to the and to the world. And you know that was a that was a perfectly reasonable view. The, where I think um, the Chilcot report is right is, is in saying that you know all that may have been may have been true, but would removing Saddam Hussein have made matters better or worse? Mm-hmm. And you know Tony Blair. For you know, completely understandable reasons, you know, a historian can can explain them all. Um, thought that it was fairly obvious that just getting rid of a bad man would produce good outcomes, mm-hmm. um, but that was a naive belief. Mm. Another part of the calculus is that, that you explain is the fact that America was sort of going to do this anyway. Yeah. So you know, there's a sort of you're not even sort of dealing with the the pure question of should. We, re- we should we do X, but you're, it's, should Britain be involved in doing X? It's, exactly, it's really I mean, that, and that's and that's part of why so much of the anger against Tony Blair uh, is is so mistaken. Because I mean, it, you know, a lot of a lot of the Labour Party now regards Tony Blair as the sole author of the Iraq War, um, which is completely um, to overlook the fact that it all would have happened anyway. Um, mm. You know, so. You know, obviously, it was terrible that so many people died uh, in the in the chaos that followed. But that was all going to happen anyway. I mean, that's not an excuse, but mm. it's just uh, it's just to point out that you know, hating Tony Blair for having for the death of you know the 
so many hierarchies uh, doesn't make sense. And, and then there's also the, the one of the lesser things Iraq's done is it's um, it's sort of overshadowed other foreign policy achievements of, of Tony Blair. I mean, you well, would, yeah. you would say that the foreign policy record of his his sort of stands up stands up quite well if you park the Iraq. <laughs> I mean, you obviously can't park the Iraq. No, you, you can't. look past it. And but yes, I mean, before Iraq, um, uh, Kosovo and Sierra Leone were huge mm. humanitarian achievements. Um, I mean, not you know, I mean, huge in in once. I mean, they weren't. You know, Sierra Leone is a very small country, uh, but you know, in both Kosovo and Sierra Leone, Tony Blair is a is a hero, and rightly so, because uh, you know he actually marshaled the international mm. community to do something about uh, um, some really quite nasty, oppressive tyrants. And of course, the, the, the prospect of well. Not even a, just a Labour government, but sort of any British government doing some stuff like that. I mean, we obviously are involved in in, in Syria and, and so on. But you know, the, one of the downsides of Iraq is surely that it's just this massive scar on our souls in terms of making decisions yeah. about foreign policy in the future. Yeah, and we saw that in Syria, although Syria wasn't a clear-cut case at all. Yeah, I fully accept that. Um, but it does. Yes, it, it is a problem in that it has it has made the use of use of force um, for potentially you know humanitarian causes um, that much more difficult hmm. well let's 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 look um, let's look forward now uh, and talk about uh, just briefly uh, about labor versus the in, the independent group the new, the new group of MPs and, and if you're a sort of um, uh, ambitious young social democrat who was you know listening to this podcast and thinking of becoming an MP and you know being prime minister for 10 years and reforming public services yeah. uh, Tony Blair 2.0 are you uh, just a sort of analytical question I mean is it is the Labour Party worth bothering with for someone like that or is it sort of dead as a centre left no, institution no I, I think if if Tony Blair were um, you know 1920 now uh, he would he would be in the Labour Party, uh, and he'd be uh, trying to you know manoeuvre manu- to um, to take advantage of whatever happens after Corbyn is leader, because I do think the Corbyn phenom- phenomenon depends so much on the personality of Jeremy Corbyn himself as leader, and once he stops being leader, which he will do at some point. Um, you know, I think things will change, and I think you know the Labour Party will probably probably be the vehicle for you know the kind of politics that Tony Blair once stood for. Uh, at some point, I mean, it seems like quite a long way away. Yeah, but, right, I mean, right the, now, the, the but old, it was when Tony Blair started. In, yeah, well, he was politics. elected in 1984, so I mean, that, yeah, that's, 1983. So 1983, sorry, yeah. So he was, uh, and and the party was in a terrible state then. It seemed to be, you know, you know, possibly. You know, maybe further away from government than, than Jeremy Corbyn's party seems because, I mean, at least Jeremy Corbyn did quite well in the last election against all, uh, against all expectations. So, you know, I think, I think Tony Blair would, would be in the Labour Party. He would be, you know, obviously interested in the independent group. But, you know, I mean, history, history is against, against the independent group and um, it, it is almost as if it's sort of replaying the whole, the whole SDP breakaway Labour modernisation story all over again. Mm. It's not going to. It's not going to be exactly the same. But I think. I think the broad outlines could well be similar. The the, the, ob- the obvious rebuttal would be the um, just the membership of the Labour Party is so 
yeah. has transformed so much over the last few years. That it has, but I mean, you know, it, that means it can transform again. Um, that means you know these people can learn, can can realise that actually the Corbyn project isn't going anywhere, uh, and you know they will have to have to learn some of the lessons from history, which is that you know unless you can get people who read the Daily Mail to vote Labour. Uh, you're not going to you're not going to form a government. Well, John Rental, that seems like a good piece of advice to uh, end things on. So, <laughs> well, on the Daily Mail, <laughs> terrible place to end. There, there you go. But the principle stands. Okay, John Rental, thanks a lot. My pleasure. That was John Rental on Tony Blair. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.